You're listening to the Break Free Podcast, where we show up, tell the truth, and do the work so that we can live God's best for our lives. Let's jump right in. I'm so excited. Our special guest on the Break Free Podcast today is Donald Kelly, host of the popular sales podcast, The Sales Evangelist. He is also the founder of the Sales Evangelist Consulting Firm, where he helps small companies develop killer sales procedures to scale their businesses and increase growth. Donald believes that anyone can sell if they have the desire and receive the proper training. Donald, what's up? Ashley, thank you so much for having me. So why the name The Sales Evangelist? Where did that come from? So in college, I started reading a book in class. It was called uh, The Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki. And I'm like, who is this guy? Um, so he was, uh, he was a marketing uh, uh, influencer, genius, uh, I would say, in a lot of rights. And he had um, worked for Apple at the time, and he took on the title at Apple as the chief evangelist. Now, the only time I ever heard the evangelist title used was in church. Um, or, you know, you hear about like people like Billy Graham or you know, people evangelizing about the gospel. And I thought that was such a rich idea, right? You're, 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 you're taking something that you're passionate about and willing to go no matter what and do no matter, willing to go no matter where and do no matter what to be able to get that message out. And I was like, man, that must have been cool. Imagine that for a business. It's way better than, way more than marketing. And I was, as I continued, um, I went into a career where I was in sales and I took on at a, a software, uh, me, a IT sales role as a technology uh, account executive. One of those boring titles. I went to this networking event and I got up on this, uh, it was at this like um, restaurant with a little bar. And there's a little bar stool and I stood on the bottom legs, the bottom part of the bar stool. So I was up above and I had a Apple tablet like two or back then. And I was like, I'm the technology evangelist. Our company went to the mountaintop and got the insights. And now we're here to help your company when it comes to tech needs. And so many people afterwards were like, man, who are you? And we started talking. It was different. It was unique. So then fast forward, when I went into software sales, my buddy and I were talking. He was like, you should do this podcasting. And I was like, what should I call it? And then he was like, man, you're always like evangelizing about sales. I'm like, well, I was the tech evangelist. Maybe I should use that. And that's where the name came from. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love how you were the tech evangelist first and then how later, right, it reconnected yeah. and you became the sales evangelist. Yeah, it it is catchy for sure. <laughs> Thank you. And it makes you wonder, like, what is this guy all about? Yeah. So... Donald, how did you get into sales? So as a kid in Jamaica, I have always, I didn't know sales existed, but I knew selling existed and I knew to be an, an, a businessman, as we would say a yard, um, existed. Like, so everyone, uh, you know, the Jamaican economy is not great. It's still uh, classified as a third world in many different aspects. Income is not awesome. Education is fantastic. So a lot of people get great education, leave and go off to UK or Canada or to US and people who are in Jamaica, I mean, like, you know, go, you can't go on Indeed and just go apply for an amazing job and get tons of interviews. You got to hustle. So a lot of folks figure out ways to sell stuff. My dad was a, a su successful entrepreneur in his right. Um, he and my mom separated as a kid. So he had that business. And I always just saw that, Ashley. And I was like, this is cool. And he was a part of my life. So it was, I got a chance to watch and to see and to learn from um, in a distance way. And then my aunt, she was a seller, um, Aunt Ivy. She had businesses in Jamaica and she would come to the U.S., buy stuff and take it back and sell it as a, you know, Jamaica as well. And we had other um, relatives and friends. So everyone around me was selling. 
So I wanted to make some money one year and I, my cousins had me pick mangoes from the tree. Uh, and I was like, you know, screw that. What if I pick these mangoes and sell them? People sell mangoes. So I tried to sell the mangoes and I wasn't successful. But this, this was in my nature, this idea of you want something, you make it happen. You can't sit around, wait for it. You create it, become this entrepreneur. So when I came to the States, I did that same idea in middle school and I did it in high school with like, um, you know, creating little companies for spring break and doing spring cleaning and, you know, and holidays making money. I went to college with this mentality and my friends were like, one of my friends, it was a mentor. He was like a senior and I was a junior, a freshman. And he said, you should consider sales. I'm like, what is sales? <laughs> I just thought about this entrepreneurship and um, he said, you should consider that. So I took it, took his advice and I got some sales jobs and it just, one thing led to another. I just loved the idea of helping people uh, undercover problems and solutions for them architecting solutions with them. I love the idea of uh, helping someone, helping a company get new clients, like people who never know, knew about your, knew you existed to be able to have interest in you and your solutions. And it was just the thrill of being, seeing a sales cycle come to a conclusion. And all of that tied together just led me to keep going and keep going with different sales roles. So that's how I got started and that's what kept me going. That's good, Donald. So you were always around it basically from childhood and you just continue to develop um, that interest as you, you know, pursued your career and thing, things like that. That's interesting. What was one of the most important lessons you learned from your father watching him in business and also on Ivy? Yeah. What did you learn from her? So let's start off with my dad. The thing that I learned from him was that Similar idea, like anything is possible, or I could do a lot more than I think I am capable of doing. Because looking at my dad, the, what he did um, in Jamaica, and it was in Spanish town. Like the first off, he had this complex, we called it, where he had, he's, he first got involved in blueprinting. Uh, I think that's what he studied in his, his, his experience, um, his post uh, high school experience and, and uh, was an apprentice. And so he did a lot of bl blueprinting and that started, was successful. Um, as Jamaica was like, you know, in the, you know, early in this formidable years, like developing seventies um, and so forth and eighties. And um, he created that blueprinting companies. Next thing that he did was he also had a cesspool company and he had trucks on the road. And um, that was like pretty interesting in itself. <laughs> um, and from there he had a little a shop where he rented one of the stores out and, but he had a little store front and then he also on, on that complex he had uh open space that rented it out for uh, like church events and for concerts um and then he had a restaurant as well because obviously you have people so all these things just i saw that he created and i was like holy crap it wasn't like somebody that was distance it was somebody that was my flesh and blood that did that and the inspiring thing was what he did i could possibly do as well Right. And, and I could I could create something similar. I could I could do more than I think that I than I thought that I was capable of. Um, and then that's where I, I got it from him um, and watched him do that with Aunt Ivy. What I loved about Aunt Ivy was her killer work ethics and this the same notion again. Um, you know, you can make amazing things happen. And she created stuff from scratch. And I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of people use cooking oil, of course, um, and that was sometimes hard to get. So Ivy, through her network and her grit and her hustle, was able to connect with some of these uh, 
um, distributors and was able to get oil and started selling oil, um, you know, as a reseller or, you know, as a, one of the only persons selling that and almost a little monopoly in our, in our city. And it was pretty cool. Right. I learned these stories later on. And when she, when she created a, the get products from the U S and take it to market and sell, you can't go to the market like at six o'clock in the morning and set up, right. People are getting up early. You got to be there uh, beforehand. So one of the things that they did, I was a kid, so I could never do this, but they would go out like on a Saturday night and set up or sorry, Friday night. So they can set up for Saturday morning. So everyone can be there. And when people come to the market, you're there already, you're in your spot and, and whatnot. And that influence that she had she was that matriarch that um just that iconic person that everyone in the family looked up to ivy she was my mom's older sister so from everyone looked up to ivy and it was just a simple fact that she solved problems she created things she was um she she had this go-getter mentality and both of between her and my dad both of those things just rubbed off on me and it's not till years later that i was able to realize these and um and Ivy was one, an individual that would bend backwards and help anyone as well. And she helped a lot of people and took people in. And I, I thought that was, uh, that was uh, meaningful. Um, you can always complain and say you don't have, that's why you can't give. But she always helped in whatever way she could. And people loved her for that. And same thing with my dad. He was well known in, our, in Spanish town. Um, so between both of those, they inspired me a lot. And we actually, in my company right now, at the end of the year, we have the Ivy Award. Uh, we give out to somebody who is most innovative in the throughout the year. That's so awesome, Donald. I love those stories. And I love that you are honoring her in your business currently, right? By awarding other people for their service. And um, you said that, you know, Ivy was a problem solver. And I think that's so important because that's what entrepreneurs do, yeah. right? We solve problems um, even more so than sometimes what people know us for, right? <laughs> because when you're an entrepreneur, you're solving problems all day long. Every There's day. always something going on, right, Donald? Every day. Every day. <laughs> every, I know. Every, I know you can relate to that. Every day. It's true. And so you do kind of polish up the, you know, your ability to be a solutionist. Donald, what are three things that every entrepreneur needs to know about sales? Mm, three things every entrepreneur needs to know about sales. I would say the first one is that no one is going to do it as good as you are. I don't care if you're not, don't see yourself as a salesperson. If you're an entrepreneur, there's a reason why you created that business. The reason why you created that business almost in some effect will be more contagious to people rather than having the perfect sales skills. And oftentimes, especially as entrepreneurs, people, I, I see founders and I see entrepreneurs want to pawn that off right out the gate. And there's nothing wrong with pawning off sales to someone else so you can focus on your strengths as well. But I would, I would encourage, like, think about this. You don't think that in any the major deals that Jeff, uh, that Amazon had, do you think that Jeff Bezos wasn't a part of that? Like, I mean, the huge deal, like the huge deal with NFL, he had to have been a part of that in some way, shape or form, Absolutely. maybe not the whole process, but there. And that's what, because there's an entrepreneur factor, like he's able to agree to and do things and to share the excitement and the vision that not a, a salesperson or a typical seller or even a contracted seller can't really do when you bring them on. So at the start of it, the excitement and the the belief and the the 
I don't know, the love for your solution is going to help people to want to take advantage of, to, to utilize what you have or to take advantage of your solutions or to use it, I should say, more so than someone who can articulate effective uh, prop value proposition. And I think that's one of the big mistakes. And at, at the beginning, you can figure out what to do and what sales is like. So when you do bring someone on, that person can be able to have a runway because you can give them guidance and they could shape and mold the rawness that you created. And also it gives you an understanding of how your company can grow. Sales is by far one of the most important, I would probably say the most important area of any business. And I know some people might say that's blasphemy, right? But if you think about it, if you have amazing product, yes, product design is good. And yes, the app and the, the CTO is going to be critical. But I don't care what CTO you have. I don't care what app you have. I don't care what product you have. If you don't sell that, it's of no worth. And you got to make sure sales is working. You And sales doesn't necessarily mean you're the one picking up the phone all the time and, and doing that. But you got to be that evangelist for your brand. You got to be the person going on the podcast or going on stage or the networking events or going into the rooms with the large, uh, you know, the, the, the potential large clients. Like you need to sell this. It's not only to the outside individuals, such as investors and potential clients, but selling that belief and that concept to your team members that they're willing to go above and beyond, that they're willing to become evangelists, that they're willing to work late or to, you know, to, to get this thing going in a tough times. And that can only happen when they can have that vision, get that taste from that true, um, from, from you as the founder. So that's the first mistake. Don't offset sales and push it off because it's not something you feel that you can't do. You're probably the best salesperson for your company. Um, or you actually are the best salesperson for your company is the number one. You know, I had a mentor who told me something similar and I really had a negative mindset about sales because I didn't feel like I could sell. Mm. And I didn't think that um, I felt like sales, you know, people were trying to get over on people. I had this really, really negative mentality about it until um, she worked with me and I realized, oh, this has nothing to do with that, but just helping people yes. like listen to the person. It had everything to do with listening. That's what I learned. And everything to do with listening and seeing, can I solve their problem? And if I can, and I genuinely believe that, then make the offer. This is how I can solve your problem and go from there. And that shifted everything for me. Right. And so she taught me how to sell <laughs> and I was so nervous about it, but I'm so grateful now, like you said, because, you know, years down the line, if I need to at any time, I can get on the phone and close a sale. Yes. I know how to do that if I need to make money. And that was so empowering for me, especially as a new entrepreneur, not understanding how um, <laughs> I was going to make any money when I first started. But once I had that skill set, I was so empowered because at any time I could make money for myself and make my business go to the next level. And that was I just keep saying empowering because it, it was, it really was because before that I was working for somebody else. I really wasn't getting paid, um, you know, what I felt like I was worth and so on. So to be able to say, this is what I believe, um, you know, what I'm offering is worth and advocate for that, close it, make it, get it in the bank account was amazing to me. Right. Yeah. And then later down the line, as I, you know, transitioned from like, you know, entry-level entrepreneur to CEO, it was super helpful because I was able to um, identify, you know, kind of like who to hire and things like that and be a part of that training process, like you just said. So if you're listening and you're not involved with your sales and your entrepreneur, you need to get involved. Um, even if it's scary, even if you're not, you know, you feel like it's just try, just get out there. Right. Yeah. 
Um, because you're going to, like you said, it's the most important part of building or of having a business. And I agree with that. Oh, yeah. So what's the what's number two, Donald? It goes back to what you said. Um, and it's uh, I it's I wanted I put a little note down so I can make sure I can address it. But you said something and, and it, it's about not you're not you, you, most salespeople or even entrepreneurs in that for that matter. They think their job, like you said, is to convince. And like it's, it's not to. Yes, it's not that's to the word I was looking for. Yeah, and, and, and so like the movie Boiler Room, I don't know if that rings a bell for anyone um, mm -hmm. or like there's never going to be a really good movie. Uh, let's take that back. There probably will be. There are not a lot of really good sales movies out there because a movie about a really good sales professional would be boring and dull. It wouldn't be exciting like the Wolf of Wall Street or, you know, like, uh, you know, um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or, you know, Boiler Room and all of these movies was sensationalized and people lying and tricking and, you know, and, and going to prison. <laughs> and I just don't. So when people are all, yeah. all excited about the movies, I, I, I don't I, some of them I, I, I would never watch um, some of them. I, in my earlier years, I watched um, and let's go back to that. So Boiler Room. When I saw that and I was like, man, these guys are good. They're tricking these people. And now I say tricking, but they were selling these people, but it was tricking them. They were conning sure. people into these contracts. And I, you know, I was thinking, man, they're able to get away with that and how they're able to be sneaky and to, they convince them. So now when I, when I went into sales as like a formal selling, I thought I tried to do that and then quickly realized that was movie and that wasn't successful. You can't really thrive mm. and you can't sleep. And, you, you know, with my beliefs, I can't follow that. And what I came to learn when I got formal training is that sales is not about convincing people. And I, 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 just hear me out on this. It's not about convincing people. When you try to convince people, you force your way onto that person. However, go back to what you said of listening. The great sales professionals, and I, I'm a, a you know one of the. If you can go through history, you can see some of the greatest sellers in history. Um, the great sales professionals. They they uh, they actually ask more questions, and they allow the sales the the client or the prospect to sell themselves. So in the definition that we use in our organization, my job as a sales professional, selling is not convincing people, but educating people enough that they convince themselves for something that's in their best interest for which they will compensate you. So because of my education that I have on this topic and experience, and I'm able to guide you and empower you to make a decision. You're going to say, dang, Donald, that makes sense. You know, because you helped me solve this problem, I'm compensating you for that. And, and that's totally appropriate. And that's, that is effective selling, so to speak. Um, helping people, selling an idea to someone and helping them to convince themselves about that rather than pushing it onto them and forcing them to believe that and to get, to get it because of a discount right now. You don't ever want somebody to feel, feel like I was sold this service or I was sold a car or sold this product. You want them to say, empowered to say, I purchased, I invested, I got this new thing. When you can get that, people are not going to have buyer remorse. They're going to be more willing to work with you. You're going to get repeat business. And that's that's cool. And that's, I think, um, way awesome than the the sensationalized selling. I agree with you 100%. Now, Donald, for those who don't share your enthusiasm and your love for sales and, um, you know, are more interested in delegating that whole process to their sales team. What do you think are some of the most effective strategies for doing that? Okay. 
um the last so and i know i think i went on too long on the last one i didn't get my third point but the third point which i'll tie back to this also this other one is is sure. is having a process um and also um undervaluing yourself i feel that oftentimes as an entrepreneur when i first started off i believed that i wasn't i was trying to sell to big companies but i was trying to i didn't believe my services was worth as much and these people in their buckets when they think about it like you know a million dollars they can blow through that in like a month it's not a big deal for them so here i am you know quivering about a thousand dollar offering <laughs> when these companies were like thousand dollars we pay exactly buy toothpicks for that much um so don't undervalue yourself but if you're going to pass thing on to someone if you're going to have someone to take over your sales this is a one of those areas too is having a detailed process of that whether you come up with that, you work with a consultant or, or whatnot, but having a knowing exactly where it starts, what happened next, and then how this ends is going to be crucial because now that you have that, you can quantify those. You can track your key performance indicators. Once you can track and process and, and, and have an understanding of this, you can make informed decisions. So let me give an example. If I know that for us, for my salesperson, it takes them every 30 outreaches they get a closed deal awesome now i have that ratio down as the business owner so if i need uh 10 deals closed then it's 10 deals times you know 10 times 30 like so that's 300 outreach activity they'll do so in the course of that week we could potentially have 10 sales i'm making this up but now i know that ratio now i can I can right. optimize that ratio without being a salesperson. I can ask my sales team now, what can we do to optimize? We're taking 10, 30 outreach to get one sale. Is there anything else you feel that we can do? Well, we need this stuff or we could utilize this or, you know, we're taking a lot of time updating stuff. Great. Let me get operations to take that piece off of you and make it easier for you. Now we optimize it. And for every 20 outreaches, they're closing a deal. Fantastic. So I don't need to, I don't need to be a, um, the the actual doer i just need to be able to understand the process and then the final piece with that is forecasting because now you know this you can make informed decisions so i know that if i consistently do this and if i bring on a new salesperson and it's fifty thousand dollars a month for that i mean a year for that salesperson as a base salary how much business do i need to have so i can support that person well we get to that level now i can forecast out now my team is bringing in at the end of the month they're bringing in um say i'm making this up uh, $50,000 per month. Awesome. Now I can make decisions. How many deals do we have in a pipeline that are at the 80% stage that are really, really, really close to uh, closing? We look like we have uh, in, in that actually $150,000 in business coming in the next couple of months. Great. Let's make some decisions now. This is how we're going to expand. This is how we're going to retract. But if you don't have that process and you just outsource it to someone to say, make some sales for us, buddy, then you're going to find yourself in a big heap of trouble. That's good, Donald. You need a process, right? I love what you said about forecasting as well. You mentioned that, you know, in the beginning, you were kind of undervaluing yourself with these major companies. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Mm. Um, how are you able to overcome that? You know, I'm a big believer that you'll never out earn your self-worth. I believe it. I've gone through this process my life. I continue to go evolve, right? And, and learn this more and more. What was your process like? Um it was a couple things. I, I'm a big believer in mastermind and learning from other people. So I was a part of a couple, and I still am a part of a couple mastermind. We run a sales mastermind with sales reps, and we all. I'm also a part of a mastermind with uh, um, 
three other uh, entrepreneurs and we've been meeting for six years and five years, five, six years now. But one of the things is that they always pointed out to me when I explained to them, like our offering, they're like, you're underselling yourself. So that was one, two, when my customers were actually telling me, I had two customers once told me, um, three customers over the lifetime of my business now have told me that I was underselling what I was offering to them. Um, and that was a big opener, eye opener as well. Um, so the process of doing that, if I were to say far with you, ask someone like someone on, uh, outside of your, that are not a part, it's not a part of the Kool-Aid, so to speak, someone outside of it. Mm-hmm. Don't ask your family because if they're not entrepreneurs, they're going to always tell you that's too expensive. I remember my wife started a business and she was creating uh, these pillows um, that she was selling and she was selling them on Etsy and people were spending money on that stuff. Now she probably wouldn't buy those pillows herself because it's you know the price that she had it, but she's not her own customer. So when she shared some of this with her family members, they're her yeah, you know, her siblings. They're like, that's way too expensive. I could buy that for like ten dollars at Walmart. Like she's not your customer, Christina. Like that is not your your customer. Go to the people and the people that were doing it, buying on Etsy. They had those incomes. They were willing to spend fifty dollars on a decorative pillow, a customized handmade pillow. And the point, though, is that when you ask family members, they tend to they, they tend to look at it from a, 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 a mindset of the um, of uh, of, you know, it, it's not the mindset of a, a true entrepreneur. Um, it's the mindset of I am a consumer and I want to find the cheapest thing. But you got to go to those people who are not going to be who are going to be outside, not going to be around you. So that's why I get my entrepreneur, my mastermind circle. They don't, they're not a part of my business, but they're able to give objective insights. And they also from our customers and the customers able to tell you as well. Um, and that was a, so for me, those were the two things that I did to help me with that. And the, th- the third piece as well is I also just went back and looked and I just asked myself, am I worth this much? And when I started having like a family and and my kid and, and all this stuff later on in life, I was like, hold on. Am I, why don't I, if I'm doing this, I'm, am I doing exchanging time for dollars? Am I just doing like, why don't I just go back into the corporate world and just go work for somebody? Um, but if I was a house, the house always wins. I need to get what I was rewarded. People, and, and this was the other part to that, Ashley, people don't buy, I would, I would say like a coaching client. I'll give you this. I would say, man, when I do coaching with individuals, they're purchase, they're getting, they might get upset because I charge more than a lawyer does for one hour of coaching. I was like, no, we got to keep it cheap. Like, you know, I can't do a hundred dollars an hour. That's way too much. Um, maybe like a 50 or somewhere around there. Um, and it was undervaluing. And then somebody taught me, they said, Donald, go back to the, again, if your ideal customer, what are you helping solve for them? And I was able to really break down, like we're solving big issues for them. How much money could they make from that? I was like, hold on. Well, I guess it could make a lot of money. And then you also pointed out saying, well, Donald, look at it too. They're not just getting one hour of your time. They're getting the past 15 years of you selling and your experience of doing that. So how much is that worth? And then I was like, holy crap. So our price from then, you know, it was, it's significantly more. Um, So it's anywhere between that three to $500 an hour for a coaching. Mm -hmm. But those people that I'm helping, it's a drop in a bucket for what they're earning or what their company can earn or those individuals. So anyways, the point that I go back to get up to get ideas from people who are going to be not going to be um, tainted. They're going to give you a, um, those on unfiltered, uh, you know, feedback and tell help you understand your true worth to customers. Look at your customers, people who are investing with you and, and f- ask them, you have a loyal base. 
uh, at least like, you know, a, a, a certain amount of loyal customers who are willing to give you honest feedback um, with your offering um, with that. So I'm grateful for my customers and cl- my clients that helped me out with that. And then the third part with that too is just quite understanding that people are not purchasing an hour of your time. They're not purchasing one thing from you. They're purchasing your years of experience. Um, and that's worth uh, a lot more than what you typically have. And a, a one client, and I, this is a quick story. I, when we started TSC studios behind me here, because we didn't, we produce podcasts for major brands as well. Um, started our podcast that led to our training consulting firm, which is our main bread and butter. But a couple of clients saw what we did and said, can you help us? So we gave feedback and ideas. And then one said, can you do it for us? And I'm like, I'm a sales training company. We can't do that. He pressed pestered me long enough that we actually created TSC studios and we helped them with their podcast. People got wind of this and we still don't advertise too much, but we've produced for about 14 podcasts for other brands. And one of our clients, when I, I told him our rates and he was like, um, and I'll, I'll be frank here and explain it, but I told him our price and he said, uh, um, it was like 150 per episode. And he said, okay, can I give you an advice? Um, I need you to say yes first. And then I give you an advice. And I was like, okay, what's that? He was like, um, you got to say yes first. And I was like, yes. And so the yes was to his question was, you're going to keep the rates at $150 for me. And I was like, okay, per episode. And then the advice was, you need to triple the prices. <laughs> and um, now the price that people pay is anywhere between uh, closer to like uh, about that 450 per episode to 500 because of the stuff that we do as well and what our team does. And brands are paying for that. There are large brands that are investing and in paying for those podcast content. Um, it's not that it's lower quality, it's, it's great quality, um, but they know the value of what they can do with that podcast, how it's helping their brands. I hope you guys are listening. This is really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, it really is. How can entrepreneurs leverage technology and digital platforms to improve their sales um, efforts and to increase their sales? Yeah, um, the utilizing, how can they utilize digital platforms to increase their sales? Mm-hmm. Okay. And technology, like you have any specific, you know, software that you suggest they use or, you know, if you want to talk about building funnels, like <laughs> anything. Yeah. Um, so from one of the perspectives that I'll tell you, don't don't fight against technology, embrace it. And I know some people are right now, they're saying, oh, we have we have these AI and AI is going to take over. I'm like, uh, your, your mom probably said the same thing with computers. Like They're going to be computers and it's going to take over. We still don't have... Terminator hasn't come yet. In those situations, yes, it's going to alter and disrupt the way things are. However, it's going to make life easier. And if you have quarrels against that, give up your car and go back to horse and buggy because those technology advance and it I'm helps. I'm not you. going back. <laughs> giving up no a car. Shoot, you, you don't want to walk in this Florida humidity like right. one block, much less 10 miles, right? So mm-hmm. embrace technology. Now, yes, we need to be cautious as we go forward in in, in new ventures, um, but we need to be aware of it. So I just want to, for all the skeptics out there, I just want to tell you that. The second thing that I want to go at, I can go on for days with tools that you can utilize. Sometimes I find people who don't want to, you know, say, I don't know a lot about technology. You don't need to know a lot. LinkedIn, everyone here, if your clients are business to business, you got to be on LinkedIn. You got to be on LinkedIn. No ifs, ands, buts about it. If your clients are B2C, business to consumer, you got to be on the gram or where they might camp out. In that case, could be yes, Instagram and it could be like Facebook. Be where your customers are because I don't care what they say. Majority of people are addicted to their devices and they're going to pick it up and they're going to look. 
Your job is to yeah. be able to be there and provide educational content towards them. Um, and I'm not saying you need to write long blogs on there, but just think about the common questions that people ask and be the source that can answer those for them, you know, share tips relative to that. So think about those top 10 questions that your customer problems customers have and give out all, give out the answers for free without holding it back. Um, I give out a lot of my stuff on my podcast for free, but that's why we get a lot of clients because they hear the stuff and they see that it's good. Some other tools that you can take advantage of. Um, I don't, you know, you can, you need to have a CRM. So if you're an entrepreneur, I don't care who you use, get a CRM. That's a customer relationship management. If you have Excel, you need to stop this episode after this episode, stop using Excel and Google Sheets, yes, get a CRM. You can get HubSpot for free. You can get, uh, you know, even like MailChimp, just have someplace to keep track of your customers. I use ActiveCampaign. It also has a CR a marketing platform and a sales platform on that, which is very helpful for us and our process. That was able to see all of the deals that we're working on and move our contacts and, and be able to um, structure and have a process, structure and have a process. I also like a tool called Apollo.io. If you're a B2B customer, you got to use uh, selling your customers are B2B. You got to use that. And if they're not, you can still take advantage of Apollo.io. What Apollo is able to do, it's able to search the databases and public info, public sources and give you phone numbers and emails for your individuals. So we use direct dial. So I call a prospect cold. I call them on a cell phone. And I've only had one individual that asked how I got their number. Um, we tell them we use a tool or we have your information in a database, a public source, um, and life goes on. Um, or they say, call me on my work number instead. Right. But the point is, people are so used to that since the pandemic. But Apollo able to get you to direct dial to the contacts, helps you get validated email addresses. And you can use this to sit on your LinkedIn or you can use this to be able to, uh, you know, just go to the company's website and see who works at the company and get the email addresses. As an entrepreneur, it's a no-brainer. Um, for you. You can also use this if you're reaching out to consumers as well. So maybe those individuals have a, a company or they work for a certain company. You can con you know get their, their email addresses or and, and whatnot, or you can search people in that. But it's definitely a must-have, I feel, for B2B uh, companies. And there are other tools out there. Um, but those are some of the technology um, things that would tell a, you know entrepreneur starting off and embrace it. Don't hide from it. Um, be on the platforms, be a uh, uh, brand yourself as, as a, as a, a source or a fountain of information. So if you are in a niche business, you sell uh, fire, fire extinguishers <laughs> to people in the Northeast, then you be the fire extinguisher expert in the Northeast, figure out what are the house built of in the Northeast, figure out how many houses typically, uh, how many fire extinguishers people have, what are the number of fires that are happening in those areas per year? What caused some of the top fires? How does this impact you know, health? Um, how does the weather impact the fire that could be caused from that? Become the expert on fire extinguisher in that, in that small uh, geographical area. And I promise you, when you share insights on that, people will be able to flock to you as that person because you're evangelizing so much about things that they find important. Just want to piggyback on what you were talking about as it relates to CRM. For the um, entrepreneurs and the CEOs listening, I think it's important too to find the tool that matches your learning style and your leadership because, you know, you can't 
use a tool that you don't understand or that you keep resisting or you don't get along with. It's really a relationship, right? You as a leader have to have a strong relationship with the tools that you're asking everybody else in your business to use. Um, this is something that I see that goes wrong with CEOs that I um, coach and that I work with. So I just want to throw that out there because I'm big on systems and structures and yes. people. And it's really important that you're comfortable with whatever tools and whatever technology you do decide to use. You do need to go through the training. You do need to be confident in your use of it. Um, even if you're not the one managing everybody on that platform or so on, this is something that I learned for sure as an entrepreneur, because in the beginning I was a little bit, you know, more resisting the technology, but as I embraced it, I love it. And now I automate everything. I'm using technology for everything. You know, we just keep going. I'm like, what software can we use? Give me more, give me more, give me more. Um, because technology is my friend, but it did not start off mm -hmm. that way. Donald, any last things that you want to share with the people listening today about sales or entrepreneurship before we close out? Yeah. Um, the last thing I would share is that you have a moral obligation to tell people about what you have conjured up, you have developed, you've been blessed with. You have received some kind of inspiration, no matter what you what your beliefs are, to create the product or company or offering that you have right? Or you had that idea, you had that moment. Well, you have that. You're solving people's problem with it. It's your moral obligation to help the rest of the market share that could benefit from that know about it. There are 8 billion people on this planet, and there's a percentage of them that need what you have, but they don't know where to find it. And it's your job, I don't care how, as the entrepreneur, to get that out to people. And that's important. And the final thing is that you are worth a lot more, a lot more than you think you're worth. And the market share, the market out there will pay you for that. Just raise your level of thinking. Raise your level of thinking. That's powerful. Donald, thank you so much for being on the Breakbeat Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this, Ashley. If you enjoy the Break Free Podcast and want to stay connected to Ashley, subscribe to her email list by going to theashleywinston.com and receive the number one secret to overcoming obstacles and creating a life you love for free. Within this secret, you'll discover many keys to advancing your personal and professional goals and enjoy gaining the clarity that moves you forward at warp speed. Become a part of the Break Free family by signing up today and getting the inspiration you need to reach your next level of unstoppable. Stay up to date with Ashley's latest episodes and be the first to know about new offers, products, services, and events. Simply visit theashleywinston.com 